Welcome back, friends, to this exciting series on Exodus, Good News for Misfits. You do not want to miss any part of this. It fits into every part of your life. We have this incredible series planned for you. It's going to roll out over the next couple of months, take us close to Christmas. And we are trusting that as we journey through Exodus together, we are going to see that the journey of the Israelites through the story is in fact our journey as well. Their story is our story, as Carol introduced last week. So we are making a big deal of this series. We have a number of connect groups starting up. We have materials around it that we'd love to get to you. If you are not in a group, we want you to join a group. Or maybe you want to lead a group with those that are wanting to join. So if you want to join a group or lead a group or you want to journey in your group that you already have with us, please do connect with that WhatsApp link that is below the video. We'll get back to you. We also have an incredible information pack as well as reading resources, connect group resources. This is going to be an incredible journey that we take together and I invite you to make the most of it. And hopefully you've all managed to read the first couple of chapters of Exodus since last week. I'm trusting that you have. If you haven't, we are going to dive into Exodus 1 and 2 today. I encourage you to read that again afterwards. I encourage you before next week to read Exodus 3 and 4 as well. So let's open in prayer. And I am going to ask God to open our eyes to see things that you may have never seen in your readings of Exodus before. Father, I commit this time to you. We commit this entire series to you that you would show us your ways. You would show us how to read between the lines to see what heaven is doing, no matter what we see and experience here on earth. I'm asking that as we read through the story in chapter one and two today, you would show us, my Lord and my God, that no matter how bad things seem, you are always working through your promises, your plans, and your purposes. And I bless every person watching right now. I'm asking my Lord and my God, wherever they're at, would you come and fill them now? Would you encourage them? And would you cause them to see that there is a good God behind absolutely everything? That we don't live just for the seen realm, but the unseen. And the unseen is more real. Open our eyes to see the unseen in greater ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you want to turn with me to chapter one, while you turn in there, I'm going to remind you of some things that Carol shared in the introduction last week. When we talk about Exodus, I, I personally think that Exodus, of all the Old Testament books, most parallels the new covenant story of the gospel and the spiritual realities of the new covenant. And so when we look at Exodus, Carol introduced this last week. I'm just reminding that, in fact, we study the book of Exodus because it exemplifies the way that God redeems individuals and nations, not just back then. It is a natural picture of what we experience spiritually and naturally today in our relationship with God. And so God's new covenant purposes, his plans, his promises are pre-portrayed and paralleled in this Old Testament passage. Amen. When, when we see, we see part of the picture that's created. Paul talks about this in the New Testament. There, there, there are like types and shadows uh, from what God does through the Old Testament of what he is planning to do when Jesus comes and the New Testament. That is the reality we're living in. The tabernacle uh, that God gave to Moses to build was a natural representation of a spiritual reality. In the same way, we see that Moses in that natural story is a type of Christ. Just Carol shared a number of ways that it is last week. Please go and listen to that podcast. I'm not going to repeat them all. But just as Moses is a type of Christ, 
we see that Pharaoh is a type of Satan, the enemy who persecutes God's people. We see that Egypt is depicted as a type of the world and its ways, the spirit of the world. Israel is a type of the church, God's people, the children of God. The Passover is a type of Jesus becoming the sacrificed lamb that as his blood is put on the doors of our hearts that the spirit of death can no longer take hold of us. There's so many types throughout Exodus of how God is establishing us in spiritual realities in the New Testament. Carol also mentioned last week that as they passed through the cloud that God led them, as they passed through the Red Sea with Moses, that that was a type of their baptism in water, their baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there's so many things that we're going to see as we go through this book that parallels our journey in Christ. And so that is why we hold on to this. Their story is your story. Their journey is your journey. And I want to emphasize this, that as we are going through this, don't just read it as a historical document. Embrace the truths, the principles, the ways of God that we're going to see that are just so applicable to us as well today. So today's topic, today's message is on chapter one and two, and we have entitled it Bad Start, Good Start. Isn't that an interesting start? So we're going to read together. And as we read through chapter one and two, I want us to look at some of the bad buts throughout this particular story. Now, I'm not talking about any of your, you know, physiques or anything. When I talk about bad buts, it's that Exodus 1 and 2 paints this bad picture. It's a, it really looks pretty bad. But after every bad thing, there is a big but, and God comes through, and it's always like, it's bad, but God. And so I want to take a look at some of those big buts in these scriptures that God shows no matter what is taking place, he always has the final say. So let's start in verse 1. Exodus chapter 1 verse 1. And it talks about the names of those who followed with Israel, who came and lived in Egypt. And I'm not going to read all the names, but what I want to point out is that there were just 70 of them. The whole of the descendants of Jacob numbered 70. And these 70 Israelites under Joseph, remember when it starts in Exodus 1, it starts with now these are. In other words, it's, it's continuing from a previous story. Exodus 1 is not the start of this story. Exodus is one of five books that were written primarily by Moses, starting with Genesis. And we must read the story of Exodus in the, the context of these other books. And the whole story actually starts in Genesis. And that's why in the information pack that you've got, we've given you a breakdown, a summary of Genesis, so that you can have the foundations to the story. And we see that Joseph comes and Joseph also, he goes through some pretty terrible stuff, but God redeems all of it, makes him the most powerful man in Israel. He brings all his family, and we have 70 of the Hebrews now living, 70 Israelites living in the land of Egypt. Verse 6, however, starts to portray that things start to unravel. Joseph and his brothers died. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This is the first but we see. We see Joseph and all his brothers are dead now. That's bad. That's sad. But we see that God is blessing the Israelites so that they are multiplying and becoming exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And that sounds pretty good. But then we move on to another bad start. Now, there was a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he says to his people, 
Guys, listen, the Israelites are multiplying. Now, remember in Genesis, one of the commands God gave was to be fruitful and multiply. The Israelites are doing this really, really well. And the Egyptians start to get worried. They're not doing anything wrong. They're not harming the Egyptians. They are not trying to go to war with the Egyptians. They're living peaceably. But here comes this new Pharaoh, and he starts to stir up out of fear a hatred and animosity towards the people of God. And he says, Behold, the people of Israel are becoming too many many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. There was nothing in their history that said the Israelites were even tempted to do that. But Pharaoh is starting to be stirred up by the lies of the enemy in his heart. The, the devil wants to destroy God's people. The devil wants to take away the promised people. God promised Abraham he would have a nation that would be numerous as the stars, as the sand on the, on, on the shore. And, and these promises are coming towards Abraham that God is going to make for himself a people who are going to worship him, who are going to be set apart, who are going to be a type of the church and God's children. And the enemy does not like this. And the enemy stirs up Pharaoh. And in verse 11, it says, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh the, the store cities and they were severely oppressed. Bad. Let's turn to the next but, verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. Friends, here's the theme that I want to focus on today. And I'm only focusing on one theme. I'm really just making one point today is that no matter how bad your scenario right now, your start might seem, there's always a but in God. God will always take the bad and say, no matter how bad it looks, but God, when God is with you, he will turn all things. He will redeem all things. He will bring his plans and purposes to the fore. And his plans and purposes were for the Israelites to become a great nation, as he promised Abraham, as numerous as the stars. And it says that no matter how much they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad, because God was with them. Now, <laughs> the story actually gets worse. So the Egyptians are now more in dread with Israel. And in verse 13, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, all kinds of work in the fields. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Well, this doesn't sound like a really good start. If you are an Israelite and you know that you're a child of the promise and that Abraham, it was credited to him as righteousness that he believed God, that you are now part of that promised seed and God is with us and God got us to Egypt and God delivered us from the famine. And yet here, all of a sudden, things are turning around. This intense attack, persecution coming against them. And it looks like a really, really bad situation. But friends, I want to say this to you. This is just the first two chapters. But the whole story of Exodus is one that shows us no matter how bad things may seem, God is always working behind the scenes for the good. What seems like a bad start in God is always a good start for his plans and his purposes will be worked through those things to come to pass. And as we recognize that this is a continuation of what God started in Genesis. Let me just quickly jump to the very first thing that God started, which was the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God didn't start with a bad start. 
God started with a good start. It tells us that when he created the world and everything in it, he looked after each day and he said, it was good. And once he's finished creation on the sixth day, he's created man, he's put them in the garden. He looks at the whole of creation of man and he says, it was very good. Everything God created was good. God did not create anything bad. Didn't, he did not create anything that would be oppressive or evil or suffering. And he talks to Adam and Eve and he says, yes, my good plan for you. But he gave them free will. Man chose to rebel against God and opened the door for the bad start. It was man's sin that led to that first bad start where God had to drive them from the, from the Garden of Eden. And from that point on, the whole world became subject to this battle between the seed of the serpent who had deceived Eve into sinning against God. And God promises there shall become a seed of the woman prophesying Jesus, those who believe in him. And the seed of the woman, he says, will crush your head, Satan. You will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And right there, God prophesies the story of redemption. We see it played out throughout Genesis, and now we've seen it played out in the story of Exodus. Now, here we are in Exodus. God's people, they're a particular race, the Jews, the Israelites, they the children of promise. And here they are in Egypt with another race group, with another culture, another people group, who are threatened by them and start to oppress them. It is Heritage Weekend today. And so I want to make a point on this that is very appropriate for Heritage Weekend. Uh, when the Jewish people suffered and they, we talk about the slavery they were put into, it wasn't because of wrongdoing that they did. They were serving God. They were living peaceful lives, but they experienced the most brutal racial persecution just because they were a different culture to the predominant culture of the Egyptians at the time. They were placed in chains, heavy labor. They, they had all this stuff taken away from them. Suffering became a part of their lives for, for hundreds of years. And as if this persecution wasn't enough, Pharaoh moves from racial persecution, stirring up xenophobia amongst the Egyptians and amongst his leaders. He now takes it a notch higher to something we've seen in the history of the world and, and in Africa in places, ethnic cleansing. When we talk about Heritage Day, I want to say this, my friends. Heritage Day is not just a day to celebrate my culture. Heritage Day is a day for us to embrace every culture and silence the plans of the enemy. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Satan is at work. The seed of the serpent is at work to try and bring division across every cultural group. Whereas the seed of the woman, Jesus, the Savior, is at work to bring unity. Which seed are we going to be a part of? Verse 15, we see that Pharaoh takes this further. And he says to the Hebrew midwives, from now on, whenever you see a woman giving birth, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, you may let her live. Verse 17. This is a bad situation. We've moved from oppression, slavery. We've now moved to ethnic cleansing. He wants to eradicate the males in this entire culture group, this entire nation. But here's another but. Verse 17. But the midwives feared God. And they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded. And they let the male children live. So the king calls them in and he says, why have you done this? And they lie to him and they say, because the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before the midwife gets to them. But they lied because it says they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And therefore, it says in verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives for honoring him above man. 
here we have an understanding that when things get tough, when things are going bad, when we're in a difficult situation, we're always going to have two voices. I can either give in to the fear of man and what can I do to, to just protect myself? Or I'm going to say, no, I'm going to continue to fear God and do what God requires of me. And it tells us that even though the Hebrew midwives could have put their lives in danger, that God dealt well with them and the people multiplied and grew very strong. So this plan is not working. Verse 21, he even says, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Verse 22, though, he picks it up a notch. And he has where we see the entire nation of Egypt rising up in this racial, xenophobic attack, ethnic cleansing. And in verse 22, Pharaoh says to every single Egyptian, every one of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, that you may let every daughter live. You see what's taking place here? It starts small. It starts with Pharaoh and his leaders. It gets worse and worse as the enemy starts to sow more and more lies. Eventually, the entire nation of Egypt is now complicit in this. The entire nation of Egypt is rising up against the people of God, against a culture and a race and a nation that is not like them. And they are trying to wipe them out by killing every boy. The, the trauma of this cannot be underestimated, understated. This was a brutal assault from the enemy on God's people. Now the Egyptians are rising up against them and they are getting this treatment just because they are a foreign group and a foreign culture. Now, I want to come back to what we said about Heritage Day. The enemy, he wants to cause in every corner of the globe as much racism, as much xenophobia, and as far as possible leading to things as grotesque as ethnic cleansing. And he sows a fear in people's hearts that because someone else is different from me or they might invade or steal from my culture or my space, he stirs up a hatred. And he gets it to the point where it is so much a national mindset that the Egyptians are all participating. Friends, I want to say, there's a parallel in our nation where the enemy has stirred up in this nation an attempt to destroy any sort, form of unity amongst the diverse groups. Heritage Day cannot just be a day, and I hope you all had a really great Heritage Day, and I hope this isn't like bumming you out, but, but I want us to embrace this truth that we see here, is I, I'm either going to choose to the voice of the serpent or the voice of the Savior. The Savior is always redeeming. And Heritage Day and this Heritage Weekend must be more than a celebration of my culture. It, uh, my heritage, it must become an honoring, an embracing, a love, a respect of every culture under heaven. Embracing unity and diversity as God created it to be. When Jesus said, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. How is it in heaven? The Bible describes that before the throne, every language, every culture, every nation worshiping before the throne. God designed ethnic diversity for us to enrich one another, not oppress one another. And I just felt the Holy Spirit saying to me as I was working through this, that, that although we're talking through this theme about, you know, looking at what happened with the Israelites and how God can redeem it for his purposes and plans, I want to make sure that we catch it over this heritage weekend that God wants to do the same in our nation as far as our diversity goes. We, the church, must stand up and say, we are going to be the transformation to bring unity in diversity, to break down the lies of the serpent and release the redemption of the Savior and I'm going to just say to you right now, if, if you sitting here today 
have any negative attitude in your heart towards any other culture or people group. Maybe it's something you were just raised in, but I want to say, let us repent. Let's not listen to the serpent. Let's listen to the Savior. Let's move in the opposite spirit. Let's break the plans of the enemy and trust God to cause us to be a nation that doesn't perpetuate this, but to cause us to be a light to the nations of the world to say, this is how a diverse people in unity can build something that looks like heaven. Amen. So back to the Israelites. We, we're in the story. They've been slaves. Now, they've been in Egypt for 400 years by the time God starts to deliver them. But can you imagine being in this situation? And it's decades and decades being in slavery. How would you feel? You've had all these promises. They probably felt like God's left and abandoned them. God, however, has not left and abandoned them. In fact, they had promises they could hold on to. In fact, God foresaw that an evil king would try to destroy his people and enslave them. And even when he said to Abraham, before Abraham had any children, he said, Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. Your children and your descendants will be like the stars. And he says to Abraham, however, let me tell you something that's going to happen to your descendants. In Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, talking of Egypt, and they will be slaves there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. God told him this is going to happen. But there's a promise. There's always a promise. And he's another but. Here's another but. They're going to be slaves there. They're going to be afflicted for 400 years. But... I will bring judgment on the nation they serve. Afterward, they will come out of that nation with greater possessions. And as for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. But they, your offspring, shall come back to you in the land of the Canaanites where he was in the fourth generation. God made this promise. Friends, no matter what we're going through, God sees God always has a plan. He doesn't back off. He doesn't abandon. He's always at work. He's not a God that just starts the clock and watches what happens. He's involved in every part of your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he will use the good, the bad, and the ugly to bring about his purposes, his plans, his promises. We know how the story ends. And so we follow in the story. It's bad, but God. It's bad. The male babies are now being killed. They've been wiped out. But God has a plan. Every male baby has been thrown into the Nile, but God takes one. And he chooses this one to be a type of Christ who brings redemption and deliverance to Israel. So chapter 2, there's this Levite man, this Levite woman. They conceive, she has a son, and they try and hide him. They hide him for three months, and it says that after she can't hide him anymore, she puts him in this basket and places him amongst the reeds by the riverbank. God's in the story. He has the daughter of this Levite woman, the brother of this child, standing on the riverbank to see what will happen. And Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in the river in verse 5 of chapter 2. And she sees this basket amongst the reeds. She sends her servant women and she takes this child and it says she has pity on him. Pharaoh's daughter now is standing with this baby. And the brother, uh, the sister to this baby comes along and says, Hey, I see you want this little baby. Would you like me to get one of the Hebrews to come and nurse this child? And Pharaoh's daughter says, oh, what a great idea. And she gives the baby, who will be named Moses, to this Hebrew woman who ends up being the actual mother of Moses. And she says to this woman, take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will even pay you wages. So not only does this Levite family get to keep their son, they get paid to nurse him and raise him. And it says eventually, once he was nursed, she brings him back to Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 10, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son and she named him 
Moses. Here we see the enemy is trying to wipe out all the boys, but God saves a remnant, one man, who he's going to use to turn the whole thing around. Now, the story of Moses is just beginning, but we're going to follow the story throughout this whole journey throughout Exodus. His training is just beginning. He spends 40 years growing up in Egypt, learning the culture, learning the language, being in the palace, understanding how the Egyptian culture works. But that's just the first part of his training. We go on in chapter 2 and we see the second part of his training kicking in that we're going to close with. And it gets bad again. One day when Moses had grown up, he goes out to his people. He looks at their burdens because he knew he was an Israelite. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And so he looks this way and that. He sees no one's watching and he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. The next day he goes out, he sees two Hebrews fighting. He says, hey brothers, why are you fighting? And they say, what, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? All of a sudden, Moses realizes he's being caught. Pharaoh finds out. Moses is afraid. He now knows that as Pharaoh hears of it, his life is in danger. And Moses flees. And it finally says in verse 15, So Moses fled from Pharaoh and ran to the land of Midian. Here's Moses. He's been raised in this place. He was trying to do what was right, but bam, it ends in a bad situation. But again, this is the last bad but that we're going to look at today. It's bad. Moses has been banished. Moses has been cast out of Egypt for fear of his life. But, verse 16, he goes, he sits down at a well. The priest of Midian has his daughters coming to water their flocks. They get oppressed by certain shepherds. Moses comes and delivers them and helps them water their flock. And, and then it tells us that Moses goes home and the priest of Midian gives Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gives birth to a son, names him Gershom. Now, this is phase two of Moses' preparation. He's going to spend the next 40 years being prepared how to live and thrive in the wilderness. And this lays the foundation for God's deliverance story that we are going to see unfold. It looks bad. They have been oppressed. They have been made slaves. They've had their children killed. But in every single one of those bads, but God comes through. But God has a plan. But God's promises will always prevail. And now Moses, he has learned how to live in Egypt, speak the language and understand the culture. God's got him now in the next 40 years learning how to live in the wilderness and understand how to thrive and survive. And we're going to see how God uses this to deliver the whole nation of Israel. God will always take that which looks bad and turn it into good. Friends, I want to say that no matter what you're going through, God is always working a plan. He's right there with you. He's working behind the scenes. We, we might read what's going on in Exodus in a few minutes, but it took decades of this. And God was working through every single moment, everything that seemed to be coming against them. God was saying, ha, I have a plan. I have a promise that will always come to pass. My purposes will always be fulfilled. But let me say, my friends, it is a truth. If you read the Bible, honestly, that every time God gives a promise, there's a process that typically involves pain before we see the purpose fulfilled. And we enter into the promised land. Spurgeon said this. God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand. We must trust his heart. I want to close with one scripture that summarizes this. Romans 8 verse 28. Bad start, good start. We know that in all things. God works together for the good of those who love him. And have been called according to his purposes. In all things. The good, the bad and the ugly. We know how it ends. This is not like some stories that you read where it's like I don't know how it ends. We know how it ends. It ends in victory. 
It ends in glory in paradise with Jesus. No matter what you might be going through right now, I want to say to you, in the midst of the good, the bad, the ugly, some of you might be experiencing a great time with God. Some of you are going through a bad. We're going to go through seasons. We've taught a lot on this in the last few weeks. But friends, here's the thing. Whenever we're in a bad situation, there is always a but God. And let's trust that but God is always going to come through for us. But God's promise will always prevail. But God's plans are being unfolded and worked through in the midst of all of this. But even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, God is with me and he comforts me. And so I want to pray for you that as we go through this journey, what you've seen today, that no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what lies the enemy is trying to throw at you, you hold on to the promises of God. You hold on to his plans in your life, knowing that no matter what it looks like out here, what he's doing in here is always worth it. And it's always going to work for our good in Jesus name. Amen. Lord Jesus, bless every person watching this bless every person as they journey with us through the story of exodus that we would see that your redemptive hand you have done this through jesus you have redeemed us from the hand of the enemy you have set us on a path towards your promises your plans your purposes being fulfilled and i release that over every person watching right now do a miracle in our lives lord cause us as we journey through this incredible story to see how your hand is always on us how you are always working for our good and I pray, my Lord and my God, that you would encourage those watching, encourage them to know that we serve a good God who is always going to work a good plan and bring us into his promised land in the end. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy reading through Exodus. Hey, if you have the time, read through Genesis as well and get the foundation story. But enjoy reading your Bible with us through this. Enjoy your connect group discussions this week and catch us next week as we start to look at chapter 3 and chapter 4.